KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. The biggest thing is surrounding yourself with a great team because you can't do it by yourself. And you don't know what you don't know. A lot of small businesses, they don't make it. You're going to get rejected. It's not going to be great all the time, but just being persistent, you know, having that resiliency and just that, just keep coming, keep going. Well, eventually it will pay off. And our guest this week is former Hatboro Horsham High School star, University of Delaware basketball star Herb Courtney, who is also the founder and CEO of Renaissance Search and Consulting, launched earlier this year. And first of all, Herb, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me on. Excited to be here. So let's talk a little bit about Renaissance. Tell us all about it. What's it about? What drove you to start it? Yeah, so... You know, I think um, just in, you know, the search space, you know, just the diversity issue within college sports and and really wanting to make an impact. That's kind of where the idea initially started. And, you know, our biggest thing is we want to inspire change through action. So just knowing the landscape of diversity within college athletics and obviously the higher in leadership positions that you go, the less diverse it is. And, you know, there's been many articles written and um, just a lot of awareness now on it. And I think that's something that, you know, we want it to impact. And that, that's something that's always been a passion of mine. I think underrepresented groups should have access to opportunities. And um, it's just, just not in athletics, but overall, you know, I think we need to do a better job of hiring implementing hiring practices to make sure those groups um, have access to those jobs and, and they have a fair shake at it. So kind of explain what your group does. Is your group that a school would hire and you would bring people to the table? How does it work? Yeah, so we're, we're an executive search firm, right? So um, we would be hired by the institution, the client. And so if there is a uh, a coaching search, whether that's any sport, you know, obviously I've been a basketball coach for seven years. So, and I played and I know that area very well, but we're, we, we do um, ha- conduct other searches outside of, you know, basketball or football um, or athletic administration. And um, you know, that's something else that will impact whether it's uh, you know, athletic director or, you know, deputy senior mid or entry level roles within the athletic department. So, you know, a, a client will reach out to us, number one, just to, you know, just get a, a feel for what the position is and, and how we can better partner with them um, to give them a, a great talent pool, a diverse talent pool, whether in coaching, athletic administration, and and just doing, you know, our due diligence. I think a, a big thing with why schools use a search firm, number one, just the confidentiality piece throughout the process, right? When they're trying to recruit an administrator or a coach, you know, having that close to the chest, being a trusted partner, right? Uh, so when they are trying to evaluate uh, their position, that position, you got to make sure that, you know, you're, you're vetting the right candidates and you have the right pool of candidates depending upon the job. And, and just really helping from, from logistics, from interviewing, you know, uh, helping them throughout that process and just different things to, to consider and, you know, the background checks and verifying everything. So 
you know, there's a lot of reasons why institutions will hire a firm, um, mainly because of their expertise in that area. And then also just to make sure that process is uh, smooth and, and seamless. So you launched, if I'm correct, in February. Correct. The world went sideways about six weeks later with the pandemic. Yeah. Has that affected things or I would guess one way it's just affected is a lot of places aren't hiring the way they would have hired over the last six months just in general. But how has the pandemic, if at all, affected things? Yeah, if you would have asked me in March if I made the right decision, yeah, you know, I, I would I would told you probably not, right? Because no one is hiring, you know, there's furloughs and, and layoffs and uh, hiring freezes. You know, so it was a difficult time. You know, I had a lot of things going, had a lot of momentum going in, you know, February, there was a lot of schools interested in just different things that we could do for them, whether it's creating pipeline programs, you know, for the department where they had a certain amount of openings for this year. And we would help them, you know, with all those openings and, you know, and all that stuff got pushed to the side with the pandemic, you know. And so that was difficult, but it forced me to do a couple things. One, it forced me to slow down. Right. I think when you open up a business, you just want to go, go, go and get all the business that you can. Uh, two, it made me really solidify my relationships, right, and having great conversations with um, decision makers and ADs and, and administrators just to understand them, right? I think the best time to have a conversation is when you're not trying to sell them on something. So so there was a little silver lining to that. And then, you know, obviously in, in late April, May, with the, un, um, you know, the unfortunate events with George Floyd and just that whole social awakening, right? Where towards um, social justice and equality, that really put, um, I think, more of a focus or value on, my, on the firm, just because, you know, number one, I'm one of the only minority owned um, search firms in college sports period. Two, I impact diversity and inclusion, you know, from a hiring standpoint. So, that is a, that especially now that's a big interest for a lot of institutions because they want to they really want to look at you know how can I be more intentional in hiring diverse candidates? Um, what are some of the best practices that we can implement within our department to make sure that we're attracting and retaining the best candidates? So um, you know since May, I would say mid-May is where I've seen an uptick in just business and and calls and and, um, you know, just being available for, for people. So I'll bring it back to the, to the firm, but I want to talk a little bit about your career in basketball. So you growing up, uh, suburban Philadelphia was everything for you as a kid, basketball, basketball, or were you a play whatever was in season kid? Uh, by the time I've always been a basketball football player, I really never played any other sports, but basketball was something that's always been a passion of mine. My, my father played at Canisius um, back in the 70s. He was a basketball player. My mom, you know, played basketball. And my oldest sister, she played uh, SUNY Geneseo D3 uh, institution. You know, so basketball has always been a part of our family. Um, so I, I knew at a very young age that I wanted to play basketball. When do you realize, when do you start to realize you're pretty good as maybe you're getting picked earlier than the other kids pretty consistently on the playground or, you know, if you're playing in leagues, summer leagues, stuff like that, you can tell you're getting a little more attention. 
Yeah. Well, so I lived, I grew up in Buffalo and I moved to suburban Philadelphia when I was about 14. So when I was in Buffalo, um, you know, I always would play up, right? My age, you know, maybe a couple of years. So to my age group, I think I always realized I was, I was decent, right? And I had the ability to play up. When I moved to Philadelphia, it was obviously different basketball, right? It's a bigger market, a lot of talent. It's a, you know, there's a style. And I think when you see a Philadelphia basketball player, there's definitely a style to that. You know, so that kind of knocked me down, you know, to, to build myself back up because it's, I've never been exposed to as much talent, you know, in an area. So, which was great. It was a great, um, you know, it was a great learning experience for me because when I did live in Buffalo, I did, you know, I thought I was the big kid on campus, right? I was the best one. But when you're here in Philly, you know, everyone's pretty good. So it made me work harder and kind of refine my skills and just surrounded myself with some, some really good people. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, when I was, it was always been a dream of mine to play division one. I thought that could have been a reality, probably my sophomore junior year in high school. So sophomore, junior year, you start to think it becomes a reality. Uh, you end up playing at Delaware. Was Delaware a player for you those last couple of years of high school? Were they late to the game? What other schools were in the mix? Yeah, so predominantly I was recruited by Patriot League, CAA level institutions, a couple A10. Um, but I knew where I could have a uh, an impact was probably at that you know CAA level um, type of type of uh, school. So you know Delaware came in, um, I'll say probably the middle to of my middle of my junior year in high school. Actually, I was playing North. We were playing Norristown, and one of the coaches came. I got to see a kid from Norristown, and then you know I had a really good game, and they started recruiting me. And then I had you know with the AU in the summer, I had a pretty good summer that that year, and and uh, then they um, you know really started going after me, and then I committed in that summer of my uh, junior year. What did you like about Delaware? style coaches campus was there one or two things that put the blue hens kind of apart from everyone else yeah there's a few things one um it's a beautiful campus you know so college town beautiful campus you know really nice arena so that as a young kid obviously draws you right what you see two was a really good academic school um great business school um you know my dad was a banker uh, for M&T Bank. So, you know, I want, I was going to go into business. So that was a, uh, that was a, that was attractive, right? Because, of, you know, just the, from an academic profile and then just the play, right? You know, I, the great thing about Delaware from, from Horsham, it's only what, 50 minutes drive to, to Delaware. So I was able to catch a few games and I liked how they played. I loved the, the community support, Coach Henderson, yeah, I loved his pedigree, you know, from Duke and and what he brought to the table. So, um, you know, I think all those factors kind of um, played into that decision. And it was close to home, right? So my my parents could come come see us see me play uh, when, when I was you know in college. Watching film of you playing, you had a really versatile offensive game, uh, and I I watched one clip. It was a 
early in the first half of a tournament a conference tournament game against UNC Wilmington. First possession, they set you up on the block. Strong move. Get a jumper in the lane. Next possession, pick and roll out top of the key three, bury it. Were you always that versatile and offensive player, or is that something that develops over the years? Yeah, you know, for, for me, luckily, you know, I was I was I wouldn't say small, but I was more of a guard size, right? I didn't I had a killer growth spurt when I was probably going into my junior year, I probably grew like five six inches and you know you have those growing pains and things like that so I had a lot of the the guard skills I was more of a two growing up you know so I think that was that added to the versatility to my game where you know I was always shooting it I was always dribbling the ball and then you know being able to to grow like that kind of you know try to keep those skills um you know so those I was fortunate enough to have them as when I was younger and then I just Obviously, you got to work at it and and um, you know refine them. But you know, I've, luckily, when I was younger, I wasn't a big kid and you know, I wasn't playing a center my whole time growing up in little league. You know, I think that kind of makes a difference. So you mentioned grew up in Buffalo, Hatboro, fourteen. So freshman, you you moved to yeah, in start the freshman high year. Yeah, yeah, in the freshman year, I think, or my sophomore year. Might have been actually my sophomore year. How tough is that? Those are difficult years when you are with kids you've grown up your entire life with. What, how tough was it to to jump into a, a new school system at like some really important years in a in a kid's life? Yeah, it was um, it was tough, but for me, I knew it was a great opportunity as well because from a basketball standpoint, I've been exposed to a great area that can really highlight my skills and get me that much closer to um, my goal was to be a division one basketball player. So um, that was always in the back of my mind. Uh, so I was actually excited, you know, um, to move. You know, I just wanted to make sure like my little brother, cause he was younger. You know, I want to make sure he was good. But for me, I viewed it as a great opportunity um, to, to go into a new area and see what I could do from, um, from a basketball standpoint. So, um, but yeah, I still have all my, a lot of close friends in Buffalo. I still talk to them this, to this day. You know, I, my parents actually moved back to Buffalo and say seven, eight years ago, you know, so I still get back there a good amount and see my friends and family. But, uh, yeah, my sister and brother still live in, in Philadelphia. So you go to Delaware, how's the transition on the court, off the court. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I think any any college kid that you know, they're your first year, especially when you're playing a sport. Number one, you're just. For me, I was never a really physical kid in high school. I was pretty skinny, so just to make that transition to put on more weight and more muscle, the game's faster. You know, on the court, learning those concepts. You know, uh, the the conditioning, the weight training. Those, that's all taken to another level at the college level, you know, so that, that was tough for me. Um, you know, off, off the, off the court was fine. I had, I lived with, um, another, a basketball player who, you know, was my best friend to this day. And, you know, we still keep in contact. So that was great. You know, I mean, we, we had, um, you know, we, had, I had great teammates at Delaware. That's, I think that's how, you know, you pick a right school or program is when, 
you know, you're still talking to most of the guys that you played with, you know, when you're in your adult life. So, so that was awesome. It was just, yeah, I think that adjustment to college sports, you know, and you have your hurdles. I tore my ACL and MCL and both meniscus um, at, uh, in a game at George Mason my freshman year. So that was a huge hurdle for me. Um, just trying to get past that and, and the rehab and all that other stuff. So, yeah, you, you have your up and downs, but it, it was it was a great experience. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I, you redshirt your sophomore year as a result of that injury. Yeah. What's that like? That is a tough mountain to climb. I would imagine it's especially tough as a 19-year-old kid who doesn't know what to expect. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, it was tough. You know, everyone says, you know, when you um, tear your, you know, tear an ACL or whatever, or go, you know, having surgery, the rehab is tough. It's tough. It's tough. And, you know, when I, when I tore it, it obviously hurt, but you know, you don't have surgery right away. So I was able to, I was able to get it stronger and I was like, yeah, this is going to be fine. And then I had a huge wake up call when you wake up from surgery, right. And you can't move your knee and, and uh, you know, it hurts to bend it and the, and the rehab, and, you know, it wasn't just an ACL for me. It was literally every ligament in my knee. So it was tough, right. It was, um, it was a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. It taught me a lot of things, um, you know, taught me patience because I just wanted to play and you always have your setbacks. Um, you know, it taught me appreciation, because I appreciated the game way more after that surgery than I did before. And um, the people in your corner, right? I think you, you depend on a certain amount of people to help you get you through. And that kind of makes your relationship stronger. So I was able to take some great things away from it, but it definitely had its, um, you know, challenges for sure. How long did it take before you were able to play and not, think about the knee yeah man so you know my recovery was a little longer than expected just because you know with certain issues with the healing and and bending and all that other stuff so it, it took me probably close to like let's say 14 months just to really get on the court and do stuff and you know I had that big brace on my knee which I hated um and I feel like subconsciously it always makes you think about your knee when you have that big thing on it you know what I mean so I mean I'll probably say and I had that on for maybe two three months so I don't know 16 17 months after my surgery you know without really just thinking about it I could just play you know that that was probably the time frame you talk about appreciating the game and that's obvious when it's kind of taken away from you for a time like that how much did it change the way you see the game, if at all? Being on the sideline, still being in those huddles, but not being the guy out there making it happen, hearing what's supposed to happen and watching it unfold. Did it change the way you see the court? It did. You know, it, it, you get to really learn the game, you know, from that vantage point where you're looking at all the actions, you're looking at all the different plays from a different viewpoint, right? And thinking, well, maybe I could do this or, you know, I'm just visualizing in my head, you know, things that maybe I could do in certain situations. So, yeah, I think it it definitely makes you think the game differently when you're on the sidelines looking at it, especially when, you know, you can have an impact, Um, you know, so yeah, it definitely changed the way I viewed the game and 
just angles and the speed and different moves. And, you know, um, yeah, that, that definitely, that time really got me thinking all that, you know, you did before the consulting, you spent a lot of time as an assistant basketball coach. Are the seeds for coaching planted during that time? Because you're looking at it from a, a totally different way. Maybe, you know, I mean, at that age, I was just concerned about playing. And then like every, every basketball player, can I, can I make it to the league or play professionally, you know, but I'm sure, um, you know, that it could have some, you know, a little something to do with it. Um, just coaching my teammates up or being there for them. Um, you know, I'm sure that had an impact for, you know, during that time. So you come back solid sophomore season, and then it seems like there is a quantum leap from sophomore to junior. You go from solid member of the rotation to the guy leading the way. Was that a combination of just maturity as a player and a person plus being completely healthy and understanding what you can do? What led to that big jump? Yeah, I think it had all all to do with that. You know, I'm, my body matured more. You know, I was – put on more muscle. My leg was strong. I had confidence in that. Um, you know, just your teammates have more confidence in you, you know, as you get older, you see more, um, you know, so all those factors, I think, you know, have to do it, but do with it. But the biggest thing I think is confidence. I was way more confident, probably my junior, junior year than I was any other year prior to that. You know, I did have a decent freshman year, especially at the end of the season. Um, but, you know, coming back in my sophomore year is still that feeling out phase. But my, my, by my junior year, from a confidence standpoint, I was on another level. I put in a lot of work, um, hit the weight room really hard. And uh, I saw I just felt the, the improvements in my game. So, yeah, I think the confidence was the biggest thing. So you scored more than 1,200 points, nearly or over 600 rebounds. And in addition to, to that, if I'm correct, you guys had a coaching change halfway through your college career. Monte mm-hmm. Ross comes in and takes over the program. How tough, if at all, was that? Because there's just an adjustment period, I would imagine, getting used to the new way of doing things. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. All right. Um, you know, Coach Henderson re- recruited me and and uh, you never know what type of coach you're going to have uh, their style, the new coach, if you fit into that plan. So there's always that that uncertainty, you know. So, yeah, it was it was hard at first um, just because of that. Right. Everyone's just trying to figure it out. And where do you fit into that equation? Um, but, you know, Coach Ross, he, you know, really good coach players coach. He always made me feel welcome and, and comfortable from the day he stepped on, on campus. And, uh, you know, I was able to, to thrive in his system as well, you know, so, you know, I kind of lucked out in that, in that, in that area where, you know, coach Henderson, um, you know, gave me a lot of confidence and taught me a lot of things. And then, you know, um, few, few years later, you know, uh, coach Ross comes in and, and, and kind of gives me that same support. So, uh, definitely fortunate um, in that position as a player. So thinking back to your time at Delaware, as we're talking about it, what are the, are there a few memories that come rushing back to the forefront, be it a game, a practice, a play, a moment. But when I 
ask you, tell me about your time as a blue hen. What are the first things that come to your mind? Yeah, I think um, just my, my freshman year and just the newness of everything and, you know, my injury. Uh, but before my injury, I was probably playing, you know, some of the best basketball, um, you know, of my career. You know, I had a game winner. I had a 20 and 10 game as a freshman. You know, so you saw some glimpses of what I could do. Right. And, and gave me that confidence. And then, you know, I had, you know, unfortunate injury. So that was the first thing that came to mind. And then, you know, my senior year, obviously my junior year, we didn't have a great year, just a transition year. And my senior year, we started the conference off five and oh, you know, we beat ODU at home. And at that time, Old, Old Dominion was very, very tough. Um, you know, we beat George Mason at home and, um, you know, they also had it going. So, you know, that was a time where it kind of came full circle where, you know, we left when I was graduating, I felt like it was, it was going in a great place. Right. And, um, you know, we had some success and, you know, we beat Drexel in the first round, go to semifinals, we lose to UNC Wilmington, but, you know, it was just, I could, I could see where the program was going. And then, you know, fast forward four or five years later, they win the CAA, but, you know, so it was great. I felt like I had a hand in that and, you know, part of that, the first, the first, uh, you know, kind of group to, to lay that foundation. So it, it was, it was great. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Herb Courtney right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former University of Delaware men's basketball star Herb Courtney. So coming out of Delaware, you then go on to play pro overseas. Uh, Did you kind of figure your future in basketball as a player was going to be overseas? Did you make a push to get into camps or in the NBA or anything like that? Yeah, I I had – I knew I was going to have some workouts just because of my my stats you know for my junior and senior year um you know you realize quickly that you got to be lucky to make it in the nba right you can have those workouts but there's at the end of the day i think at the time it was only 59 picks right you know so you got to be a top 60 you know 59 58 you know player in the world to to get drafted so but it was a great experience i worked out with the net and you know that was great and um, you know, I didn't get into Portsmouth Invitational, but, you know, just working out and with this different groups assigned with an agent and, and I had a few opportunities, um, you know, to play overseas. And my first contract was in Argentina and I didn't know very much about Argentina, um, but I knew it was good basketball in 2008. You know, they won the Olympics and, you know, it's, it got it's really good basketball down there. It's different than the States. Um, but it, it was, um, it was a great experience, got to travel the world. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good things about it. So basketball, you know, I feel you have to use as a, a tool, right? Like for me, I wanted to become a division one athlete and, and have get be on scholarship to get my education paid for. I used it to 
travel the world and play professionally and experience things that most people don't get to experience. And then, you know, obviously, you know, you fast forward and coaching and even what I'm doing now all stems from my basketball, you know, just my, my time within the game, right. The relationships I've built, um, the people I've met and, and um, you know, so it's, it's given me a lot. You mentioned Argentina. If my info is correct, you also played Israel and Turkey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. All good experiences. Cause I've talked to a lot of guys that have played overseas and you have some guys that have nothing but positive things. And then you talk to other guys who talk about having to cash the check as soon as possible because they knew only the first six or seven were going to clear. How about yeah. for you overall? Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was a great experience overall. You know, my agent was, was great in the sense where he only put me at opportunities where teams had a track record of number one success to like from a from a payment standpoint like I never got um you know that that never was an issue for me you know because I was with some legit teams and and they handled their business the right way and that's part of having a good agent is you know putting you in those type of situations where you don't have to battle when you're going to get paid and things of that nature I had some great teammates at all in all countries you know my first year out of school was in Argentina and, and I had a uh, teammate Argentinian who, who loved America. He loved our culture and everything like that. He was like a seven footer. And, and so he loved it cause I was from the States and I could, you know, show him stuff that, you know, we do here and culturally and music, you know, he loved Tupac and all that other stuff. And for me, he was great because he was just my safety net in Argentina. He o- helped me order my stuff my food or, you know, he just helped me navigate period. So, cause he, he was fluent in English, you know, so having people like that in your corner really make your experience um, more, definitely more enjoyable. Do you have a, of the, all the areas, was there one that was your favorite, not just from a basketball, but just from the life standpoint and the opportunity to see things you, you might never see again? Yeah, I think, um, I think all of them had their unique experiences. Like, I don't think I would, I would ever go to Argentina if I didn't play, but um, me living there for, you know, however long, what, eight months or however long it was, you, know, you get to travel the country, you know, you get to see different parts, you get to really appreciate certain things, you know, where you're from in America and, and um, you know, and you get to appreciate people. Like, I think, you know, I lived in a small town and it, it wasn't, um, it was, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, there's a little poverty to it, but, you know, they were just so passionate about basketball. Those people were so happy, you know, even though they considered they might have less. Um, that's something that I always take with me, you know, even to this day, like, you know, really putting things in perspective, you know, family is a huge thing in, 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 in Argentina. And they, and they mean it, you know what I mean? In terms of just their culture and there's always gatherings, big dinners and you know, things like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Israel was great. Um, yeah, very, it's, you know, I consider it to be very much like America in a sense where everyone speaks English and they're very in tune to our culture. And, um, you know, it was what I loved about Israel. It wasn't, it was, it's small, right? So on our road trips, it's like, the longest trip was probably two and a half hours in Argentina. It was so the country so big, um, you know, you could have a, you know, 
crazy long flight and a bus ride to get to where you're going, you know, because this is such a big country. Uh, but and then Turkey, you know, it has its advantages as well. So, you know, if all three offered something uniquely different and, um, you know, from an experience standpoint that I'll, I'll always take with me. So talk to me about the transition from playing to coaching. Uh, was it a point where you were done playing or was there just not an opportunity where how does that transition happen? Yeah. Um, you know, so after my time in Turkey, you know, I had to come home, get a surgery, another surgery on my knee and it's just, you know, scope or whatever. I wanted to get that done here. And, you know, for me, just having multiple surgeries and you know, my knee was getting to a point where it's just becoming more of a job just to warm up and get it loose and, you know, then to actually having fun playing. So, um, I actually did have another contract to go to Germany or, and I had a, had a job offer on, on the corporate sector, um, for, in it, um, it talent management. So that's, that was my first job. That's actually what taught me to search space, right? It was my time within tech systems, um, with, in Philly. So I, I did the, um, I was in charge of our healthcare sector and, and, and work with a lot of the um, hospitals within the, within the Philadelphia market. So that's what taught me search. It taught me some great things. Um, I didn't know much about IT, but, you know, it, it, taught you, it, it teaches you how to really identify talent and certain processes that you have to follow, which was great, which prepared me what I'm doing now. So, um, yeah, I made that decision to, you know what, let's, let's start this part of my life. And, you know, um, a year after I came home, I got married, um, to my wife, um, who also went to Delaware. She was a great volleyball player there, hall of famer. So I had to give her a shout out. Um, you know, so that, that, you know, I wanted to get that part of my life started. You know, we wanted to, you know, eventually have a family and, you know, and start that life. So, um, you know, that's the decision I decided to make. And then your first coaching was an assistant at PSU Abington. Are you doing, mm-hmm. am I correct on you're that right. timeline? You're, yeah. you're so correct. are you doing the IT as yeah, your I did coaching? both. Yeah, yeah. If anyone knows in the D3 world, especially small D3, like oh, say, yeah. you don't really get paid, right? <laughs> so you're, just, <laughs> you're doing it for really the experience and just to cut your teeth. And yeah, so I was working at tech systems doing, um, you know, obviously the recruiting and, and the search and um, and then helping out at, at Penn State Abington. And then from there, well, did you like coaching? Like at first we're, you know, we're mm-hmm. like, this is something I could see myself doing for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I really did. Even it was a super small D3 school and, but I loved it. You know, I loved the, I love this, the game days. I love working with the kids. You know, I wasn't too far removed from playing. So I kind of, they looked up to me a little bit and I kind of brought that credibility to them where, you know, they're asking me for different things. You know, um, Chris Potash, who was the coach at the time, um, you know, gave me a lot of responsibilities, really leaned on me, right. In, in terms of, you know, what should we do here and me be able to add some input, which is, phenomenal at that level, you know, sometimes, you know, they, the coaches won't do that. Right. So 
for him to kind of trust in me with, with that was, was awesome, which led to me having a great experience that I was like, you know what, this is something I definitely want to do or, you know, and try, um, you know, as a career. And then you get hired on staff at Binghamton. Yeah. What was the connection that brought you there? So, um, so one of my, my, my friends, uh, Ben Luber, who we played growing up, he was, he played at council rock then at Penn state, he was on, um, Tommy Dempsey staff at, um, at Ryder at the time. And so when they went to Ryder to Binghamton, um, you know, they had a volunteer, a director of ops role just through my connection with Ben. And, and he was, you know, one of Tommy's, you know, top assistants, he, he introduced me to Tommy and said, you know, and, and really, um, you know, plucked me with that, with that, um, role and connection with him. And I interviewed and luckily I was able to get it. And how cool, I mean, Binghamton's not Buffalo, but it's much closer in that direction. Uh, how cool mm-hmm. was it to be able to set up shop there? Uh, you know, like you said, still got friends there, family there, yeah. uh, had to be yeah. neat. Yeah, it was great. You know, just being there. Great thing about Binghamton, it's, you know, two and a half hours from Philly. You know, it's three hours from Buffalo. It's two hours from like New York City. So it was pretty central to a lot. You know, Syracuse is only an hour away. You know, so number one, just from a recruiting standpoint, it was great too. Um, you know, just having a lot of family and friends within the Buffalo, uh, Philly area. It's like literally the halfway point between Buffalo and Philadelphia. So, uh, that was that was pretty awesome where, you know, it's, it's an easy trip just to see everybody. So as you're working as an assistant in Binghamton, when does the idea for Renaissance Search and Consulting come mm-hmm. along? Is there an aha moment or is it just as you go along and you kind of see how staffs are put together and who's being represented and stuff like yeah. that? You think this needs to happen. Correct. Yeah, I think it was more over time. It wasn't an exact aha moment, but the more you're in the industry, the more you're in the business, the more I think aware you are of the landscape. And, you know, you know, there was a certain conferences where in, in basketball and you even look at football where minority representation is so small, especially at the higher levels. Right. Um, where I know there is a lot of qualified minority coaches out there that need opportunities, you know, so just peeling that back and then you look at the search base is not very diverse as well. Right. So these are the individuals that are really this helping influence hiring. You know, I think that, you know, for me, I was like, you know, there needs to be some representation, some minority representation in that space. Right. And there really isn't um, even still now, you know, um, like I said, I'm one of the only, minority owned firms in the space period. So, um, and so that had to change. So with all that and knowing what I, what I know and the relationships that I have, that I was able to amass over, you know, my kind of 15 years within college sports, it was, I knew that if it was done the right way, there could be a, you know, there was a chance for us to really make an impact. Right. And, and that's what I wanted to do as a coach. I knew there were some development things that needed to be provided just to advance in the career that I want to make sure other coaches have as administrators, they need that information and connections and networks to advance in their, in that realm. And I knew I could provide that. And obviously not being, not having a lot of representation in that space, 
me coming in kind of gives me that niche in the market, right? Where I'm in tune to that, to a lot of the minorities within, within college sports and um, athletic administration and having relationships across the board, you know, right? Where no matter what race or ethnicity you are, you know, I've been able to, to really do that. So I knew if we could start something and use all that, it would have a chance to really make a difference. Was there, it's obviously something that needs to happen and need, we need more diversity at these levels, but from the pure starting your own business, Mm -hmm. regardless of how confident you are in yourself and how great the concept is, it's a leap of faith. What are those, you know, months leading up to that? Like, all right, I'm going to step away from this and we're going to, yeah, we're going to take out, go off on the journey. <laughs> no, it's definitely a faith walk. That's for sure. You know, um, because even though you have an idea and you know, it, it's needed in the space doesn't mean it's going to work. Right. And, and that, and I've never started a business. I never ran a business before. Um, obviously, like I said before, my dad's a banker, my mom's a librarian. So they, they have that kind of they can help me with that, right? Just from, you know, my dad knowing the financial sector, my mom's great at research. So just pulling all the information together that I can to make the best decisions is great. You know, knowing where your resources are, you know, here in LA, we have a, um, the Small Business Association, you know, so I signed up with them and I've had a mentor there that could, that's helped me so much along the way. So it's just finding those little things where you're not doing it yourself, you know, um, my wife, you know, my wife helps me out a lot. She has some great creative ideas and, you know, she's in the financial sector as well. So she helps me from a financial standpoint, forecasting what we need to do. So the biggest thing is surrounding yourself with a great team, you know, and so you can get it done and cause you can't do it by yourself and, and you don't know what you don't know. Right. So you got to surround yourself with people that can, that can bring in that expertise. So you have a fighting chance of making it. Right. Because, you know, a lot of small businesses, you know, they don't make it, you know, so it is a leap of faith and you got to put in a ton of time and a ton of work. Uh, but fortunately, being an athlete, being a coach, you put in a ton of hours right in, in those industries. So that's prepared me for that and, and being resilient and you're going to get rejected and you're you're not it's not going to be great all the time. But just being persistent and, um, you know, having that resiliency and just that just keep coming, keep going, keep going attitude. Well, eventually it'll it'll pay off for you. And I'm curious, what are you learning from the institutions you're dealing with as far as how they had done things before the types of questions they're asking you, what are they looking for? What are you learning about the other side of the table? Yeah, I think, you know, in general, I think athletics is different than, corporate, right? Where on the corporate side of things, you know, it is a real formal process and from a search standpoint where it takes longer, right? Um, When you're doing an an executive search, it it could take anywhere from, you know, 60, depending on what the time frame is, to maybe 120 days. That's unheard of in athletics, right? When When there's a coach position, they want that done within 10 to 14 days, right? So I think, um, systematically is a little different. Um, you know, I think another, another thing with athletics is 
you know, it's a small community as well, you know, so I do think, you know, when we do have openings, sometimes it's, you know, picking up the phone and calling our friends, right, and say, hey, who do you have, or who do you think, and if, you know, you're calling your friends, they probably look like you, you know, they're probably the same age, they're probably, it doesn't, it doesn't yield diversity, right, so there's, I think there's different things that we can implement within our hiring practices within athletics that will yield a more diverse talent pool. Uh, you look at what the WCC is doing, right? Implementing the Bill Russell rule, or you have to, and similar to the NFL's uh, Rooney rule, where you have to interview a minority, you know, through the process. I think that is helpful because, you know, uh, minorities are going to have more opportunities. They're going to be in front of more decision makers and then, you know, that will yield to more opportunities down the road if it doesn't, if they don't get that position. So I do think there's things that we can do to better practices and, you know, just having those conversations. It's it's just, you know, telling it those decision makers, ADs or HR, like, you know, here are some different networks you might need to tap in or some different people that you need to reach out to to, to kind of expand that and, and, and to make sure that we are having a diverse and an inclusive workforce. And as I wrap things up here, have you had an impact on any searches? Are there any success stories that uh, you can share that you feel like what you were able to bring to the table? Maybe had a, a school or a program look in a direction that they may not have looked at, and they ended up hiring somebody that without you, they they may not have uh, even known was interested. Yeah, I think um, you know I've had some searches, so I've done the. Locally, Lincoln University men's basketball search. Uh, I've done, um, I helped LaSalle LaSalle University out with an assistant coaching opportunity, um, Howard University, um, you know, in their athletics for a digital content coordinator. And I've done one on the corporate side for a director of uh, diversity and inclusion. And there's other opportunities and proposals that are out there that I think are going to yield some great hires and things like that. So, you know, for me, it's just, you know, letting, you know, clients know that I am out here. This is the type of work that I'm doing, you know, um, and, you know, really bringing just a different lens to to the market. Right. Because I am a former player, um, you know, um, you know, a college player, I'm a former pro player, I'm a former coach and I've done recruiting you know, corporate recruiting, um, you know, on that end of it. So I do bring something unique to the table and a lens that I don't think they've, you know, had to been able to partner with before. So, yeah, I think it's great that, that I can do that and, and, and really forging those relationships and, and seeing what we can do going forward. I know it hasn't been a huge market this year because of COVID, right? And there hasn't been a lot of, whether it, administratively or coaching jobs open. We'll see what happens in the next six to 12 months. But now that, you know, doing programs like yours, you know, really giving myself, you know, using your platform to let people know that, yeah, there, there is a firm out here that can help. And that is more than qualified to, to make sure that we're giving everybody a, a fair shake at a job. Herb Courtney, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. 
And that will do it for this week's episode of One on One. Want to thank former Delaware men's basketball star Herb Courtney for joining us on the podcast. If you like the podcast, want to help us out, and you listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review. We would appreciate it. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. You can follow Herb Courtney on Twitter and his consulting firm. His Twitter handle at the RSC Firm CEO, Renaissance Search and Consulting's Twitter handle at the RSC Firm. Once again, I'm Matt Leon. Thanks again for joining us, and we will be back next week with another conversation with someone you should know more about.